The Start On Demand. On demand. to eat at a restaurant and dine in when indoor dining resumes. Province unveiling phase two plans today for reopening. We had a great conversation throughout the show on restaurants, including which restaurants you plan to visit first when reopening takes place. We'll speak to the Manitoba Association of Senior Centres as long-term care facilities are getting ready for changes because next week, outdoor visits with loved ones can resume. And we'll speak with a former client of Silo Mission, who now has a family of his own, and even has his own hot dog cart. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Thursday, May 21st podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, just before we get into this, I want to say thanks to our listeners and for the stuff that they remember and latch on to, like Kevin the Garbage Man here texting us saying, Brett, looking at your pothole in the village, and just to take you back, there is a a massive pothole at Osborne and River that I was whining about, I don't know, three months ago, uh, maybe four months ago. Well, they're finally fixing it uh, because they had to wait until it warmed up before they could tear it up. Looking at your pothole in the village, I can almost guarantee in one to two months they will be ripping up the whole intersection to repair it instead of doing it all in one shot. And uh, then he also mentioned you, Loren, saying, had the AC talk with my wife last night. Lucky to still have my fingers. (laughs) Okay. And Don't touch those buttons, Kevin. They're and, not yours. And Kevin says, Greg, you haven't inspired me this week. Pick up your game. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> what? <laughs> Thank you very much, Kevin the Garbage Man. We love talking to you, buddy. And we are just getting annihilated with text messages here. And that's a good thing. On which restaurant would you visit upon reopening once the rules are relaxed? Is there a restaurant that you miss? So let's go around the horn here. Jeff Fortier, why don't we start with you? Well, actually, I was was thinking about it, and I was like, I want to go to a place that is a dinner and a show. You know, like in the Cable Guy when they go to what's called Medieval Times? Oh, yeah. I want to go to somewhere like that. I think that would be fun. I've been to the one, I can't remember what it's called, in uh, the Excalibur Hotel in Las Vegas. And it is, oh, it really yeah. is a fun time. You get to eat all the food as you eat it with your bare hands. You're just tearing eat pieces and of bread. Entertain me. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Yeah. Now, if you were to stand and say that, that would be acceptable in that environment. Jeff Braun, how about you? Landmark Theaters concession stand, Grant Park. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's perfect. Large popcorn and a glass of water. Yum, 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 yum. I miss it so much. With a movie, of course. I I miss movie popcorn too, man. My stomach doesn't miss it, but I miss the the movie popcorn so much. You prefer Landmark over Cineplex? The popcorn is much better. Yeah? Much better. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, how about an actual restaurant? Or is that it? That's the one. Uh, you can, you can, they sometimes have pizza. They got nachos there. That, that okay. counts as food, right? All right. All right. <laughs> nachos are hot. <laughs> Kelly Moore, how about you, buddy? Oh, you're not moving the needle at all there, McGarry. Not one iota yeah. <laughs> on Braun. Yeah. I was just going to say for Jeff Forte, too, even close to home celebrations, dinner theater, when they get going again, oh, that might right. be something that, uh, yeah, that, that, that you might be interested in, Forts. Uh, you know, it's not uh, the, the restaurant. I, I don't even know if it had the chance to, to open uh, before the pandemic hit. 
but I know uh, when I used to travel for hockey, I loved going to P.F. Chang's. And I know there's one that uh, it's right by uh, the radio station. So we've talked about that. But, you know, to me, it's uh, it has to be uh, one of the restaurants uh, that uh, that has been around and is locally owned. So I would say that uh, definitely the Pony Corral or, or the, the patio at Canad Inn's uh, uh, just in Transcona would uh, would probably be a couple of the spots that I would look at. I think that P.F. Chang's did open. I remember seeing a lot of people posting about it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I guess it was just very brief. And less in Karen weighing into, for example, on uh, a local restaurant. And it's our friends over at uh, Fusion Grill. They say there are so many yes. restaurants we are missing, but to pick one, it would be Fusion Grill. So we'll have to check in with Scott McTaggart once uh, this all gets rolling. Loren McNabb, how about you? Oh, so Chicken many of listeners... <laughs> if it was still around, the crust on that pizza brings back so many memories. So I have a, I have a few. There's a couple I haven't tried. So uh, Frankie's, uh, owned by our good friend Joe Aiello, I had every intention of getting there. It opened for a few weeks, then of course COVID hit. So I want to try that uh, Italian eatery, Trans Canada Brewing Company. We took the kids there just before the pandemic, and they have this great pizza they're doing there, and it's fun to sit and have a drink and still be out with the family and the pizza is amazing and then of course once clear lake opens you know guys how much i love clear lake riding mountain national park they're still closed i think until june 1st but if you ever get out there tr mccoy's is one of the restaurants in the park and go off the menu and ask for penne a la vodka and yes of course vodka <laughs> and the penne is amazing like the restaurant is so good you're out in the fresh air it's just i cannot wait to have that experience again well and you mentioned frankie's i know their patio is open because i saw joe posting on on his social media yesterday that he was on the patio uh, and their food is great and I ordered I ordered their fried chicken but to get the I fried chicken it only comes in a family feast so I spent $60 on this 12 piece chicken family feast that came with pasta and potatoes it fed me for four days so that was well worth it and the chicken was delicious Greg what about you? Okay, so uh, King's Head, that's my go-to for before hockey games, but I guess we're not going to any Jets games, so uh, that'll have to wait. Jonesy's in Birds Hill, always our favorite place to go as a family. Earl's for the patio, but uh, I think um, we're actually going there later on this morning. Pine Ridge Hollow, something special about getting out to the country, the drive, everything that you do along the way once you get there. It's an absolutely... F- Uh-oh. <laughs> Oh no! Did we lose Greg? Did oh. he did he already cut out and go to Pine Ridge Hollow? He's gone. Pine Ridge Hollow is a wonderful place to take a date. I went there in October 2018, and the, the meal was great. and And uh, it's a dangerous place to go though because of the shopping experience that they have. They have so many nice things for the home. Like if you're looking for decorations, and it's just a quaint. Sort of, it's like a little pocket of paradise. So we're looking forward to that visit at seven thirty-seven. And there's a we had a text message for another restaurant, sort of in uh, Greg's ballpark, Jeffrey's on Henderson. Great food, great staff. Yeah, I've only been there once, but the pizza was sensational. And for me, the restaurant that I miss. Uh, I was just walking by it the other day. It's the Grove at uh, Grosvenor and Stafford. It's just a nice little neighborhood pub. It's super comfortable to sit at the bar. Uh, I just like to go there and have a beer on tap and maybe grab a pizza or a burger or fish and chips or whatever. So that will be the first place I go. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In case you are just tuning in, here's what happened at 6.55. 
Pine Ridge Hollow. Something special about getting out to the country, the drive, everything that you do along the way once you get there. It's an absolutely... Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, no. Did we lose Greg? Did he, did he already cut out and go to Pine Ridge Hollow? He's gone. So apparently we didn't just lose Greg. We lost Greg, Loren, Kelly, and Jeff all working from home. There was some sort of a gremlin in the system, and they all went bye-bye, but they're back now, so that's good to hear. And keep those texts coming at 204-780-6868 on which restaurant you would visit mm. upon reopening and why, if you've got a story to share with it, that would be great. Loren, I understand you are Googling like mad uh, as far as restaurants go. Well, you know, so many restaurants I hadn't even heard of yet, and then once I get to the website, I check out the menu and then now i'm going down the rabbit hole of the menu could i order that right now is it open can i get takeout like oh so many great places to eat so i can see why people are excited for the slow reopening and what might be uh announcement today regarding restaurants and, and what rules might apply to them brett so keep those texts coming and we will share them throughout the morning here on the start they can be real eyesores in any neighborhood and in some cases they actually attract crime. But this morning at City Hall, councillors will consider a plan that could change the way owners deal with vacant properties in Winnipeg. Many of those vacant homes are often used as places to sell drugs or use them with some link to meth-related crimes and exploitation. So a few months ago, the city decided to look at whether it can speed up seizures of some of those properties. It found out it didn't have the power to more quickly take over vacant homes linked to crime without compensation. But Loren, it did come up with other measures. Yeah, the Winnipeg's uh, Property and Development Committee will consider this morning whether it could force negligent owners to add things like security cameras, extra lighting, or security guards to vacant properties, which would potentially come at the owner's expense. Sal Burroughs is a community activist in Point Douglas, and he will also be speaking at that meeting later today and joins us now. Good morning, Sal. Good morning. What a beautiful sunny day. It is a beautiful day out there, and I know uh, on your street, in your neighborhood, this is a battle you've been fighting for years. How big of a problem are vacant properties when it comes to, to crime? Shed some light on the issue there for us. Oh, they're massive. You know, the problem of meth, meth addiction, uh, you know, at the community level, the city level, we can't do the uh, treatment that's needed and stuff, but we can disrupt and we can uh, slow down and minimize the impact on the community. When you get a meth house or a, a meth building uh, where you get a large number of people who are addicted, uh, crime goes up. Pet, a lot of it's petty crime, bicycle theft. You know, when your garden shovel gets stolen, it may not be a big thing in River Heights, but in an inner city family that can't afford 25 bucks more, it's a massive problem. And uh, it's one of the things we've really taken on very strongly in Point Douglas and uh, we're doing fairly well. But a lot of communities, if you get a vacant building or a boarded up building where they pried the, the boards off because it wasn't done properly, uh, it makes that street and that neighborhood very, very uncomfortable place to live. So the city says it moves as quickly as it can on negligent owners and that it doesn't have the ability to speed up seizures of these properties. So it's considering other security requirements for these owners. Will this plan work? Uh, yes. You know, that's the short answer. It's it's complex. It's difficult. Uh, I'm really, really pleased with the city. Uh, Michael Jack and company need a, a compliment. They're coming up with some creative methods. When you have a crisis, you can't just do ordinary bureaucratic things. You have to use whatever powers you have 
and anything that can be done to disrupt the marketing and the gathering of people addicted to, to meth. Uh, I keep saying, you know, the, the meth addicts have the best support system anybody could dream of. You know, you 24-7, there's somebody out there willing to sell you, sell you meth. Uh, if you don't have any money, uh, they'll give you a couple of points on credit and say, go steal a couple more bicycles. So anything we can do to disrupt that system is is valuable. Obviously, there's no one simple answer. But damn it, the city's taking a lead on this, and we, we in the community have to be totally supportive of them. Uh, if this doesn't work, we'll try something else. But you don't not do things because you're not exactly sure what to do. Actions on meth is crucial. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you there, Sal, but I think we've spoken about the broken windows theory in the past yeah. and just that idea that those visible signs of crime create uh, and and can encourage antisocial behavior, civil disorder, and, and can lead to serious crime. It seems like such a small thing. It not only weighs on the psychology of those living around that building, but it does have... A, a literal effect. It's a, a proven effect in terms of uh, what it can generate and, and what it what it starts to perpetuate. Absolutely. You know, uh, people like to belittle uh, the broken window theory, but, you know, we don't have many slum houses in Point Douglas because we made it very uncomfortable and working with the bylaw enforcement department, very expensive to have broken windows and stuff in Point Douglas. And the community benefits from that. It's not the only answer, but it's something that can be done at the community level. And, uh, you know, we need to think about the bylaw enforcement officers being as, as important as the police officers if we want to prevent crime in our communities. And that's what we really want. We want good people being willing to stay in, in inner city neighborhoods because we need them. And one way to keep them there is to make those streets as safe as possible and disrupt the uh, the meth crisis that has many other issues we have to deal with. But those vacant buildings where people gather and with the uh, COVID uh, crisis as well, getting a whole bunch of people jammed into a place with no water, no, uh, no utilities is not a healthy thing for those uh, people who are addicted either. So we can, uh, Hopefully, the City Council today will take this step and the administration will take them on. Sal Burroughs is a community activist in Point Douglas. He'll be speaking at City Hall today. Thank you for joining us, Sal. Thanks very much for having me. Take care. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, I am pretty sure most of us have been challenged to put our money where our mouth is. How about putting your feet where your mouth is, Greg. Our next guest has decided to do just that, Brett, in an effort to raise money for an organization which clearly means a lot to him and an organization which uh, many Winnipeggers have grown to not only know, but I would say love, Loren. I think that's a pretty safe sentiment, Greg, that many of us feel about the Bear Clan Patrol because they become a fixture on our streets. Volunteers doing their best to keep Winnipeg safe as it can be. And Cole Dimitrioff is actually doing more than his part to bring awareness to the Bear Clan. He wants to raise some money uh, because they, as always, like many organizations, they need that financial support. And we're pleased to welcome Cole now. Good morning, Cole. Hey, how are you guys doing? We're pretty well. Before we ask what you're doing, why the Bear Clan? Why is this this group that you've chosen to uh, support? Uh, well, number one, like, I'm Métis, so, like, uh, 
And I was I lived in Cross Lake, Manitoba, which is a Aboriginal reserve up in the north. And the Bear Clan Patrol was one of the first ones that helped fundraise money for Cross Lake during a suicide pandemic four years ago. And unfortunately, I had friends who were suffering from deaths there, which was not great for anybody that's 16 years old. And number two, I'm just kind of tired of always complaining in life like, wow, I never, or this isn't good, this isn't good, I really should do something, but never do anything. So it was kind of a personal challenge too. Well, that's obviously a, a personal story behind this, and uh, good good on you for taking up this. Now, now, Cole, as I understand it, you don't even live in Winnipeg. You live in Beauxjour. So just <laughs> yes. tell us what, what, you're, what you're doing in support of this Winnipeg institution. And you did a great job of highlighting the fact that the Bear Clan does, uh, does work not only in the city of Winnipeg, but in the rest of our province and across the country as well. Yeah, so for the past two weeks and that one more week left, I've been running uh, 10 kilometers uh, per day. And it's uh, it's been great, but uh, it's definitely a little more than I thought it would be for the joints, but we're getting through it, that's for sure. But yeah, 10 kilometers a day. You are asserting yourself as a leader in the community. Where does that ambition to make things better come from? Uh, honestly, uh, just probably my parents. Like, they always taught me, like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do stuff for, like, in hopes of, like, people, like, wanting to be you should just do stuff in in the sense like that everyone's your friend like you could you could have grown up like them you like everyone i guess sorry it's a little early in the morning to explain something but yeah like in the sense of like yeah like i could have been there too i could have been there so just just be there for everybody because you don't know what's going on in their life you know it goes with the sentiment, if you can be anything in life, be kind. And I think this is part of it. You're showing a kindness and you're also showing an initiative by helping out a really great organization. Cole, how do we get involved if we want to help, help support what you're doing and help support the Bear Clan? Okay, so the link for the actual charity thing is like a thousand, <laughs> thousand letters long. So the easiest way would be to go on my Twitter. And if you don't have Twitter, you can always just... Uh, Search my name anyways. It's free to look on uh, Cole. So you'd search Cole Dimitrov, C-O-L-E-D-I-M-I-T-R-O-F-F. And there's a link in there which you can donate. And it's a verified uh, charity page that helps a lot of Canadian charities. So you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, CanadaHelps.org. And your original goal, I think, as stated, was $750. (laughs) And you're well on your way to five thousand. Have you? I think you've changed your ultimate goal now, haven't you? With a week to go. Yeah, my original goal was seven hundred fifty dollars, and I met this wonderful man. His name's Ali, and he really helped set this up, like to be more than what I thought it would. Because when I, before I met him, I was at three hundred dollars, and he said, "Okay, I'm gonna come. I'm gonna make a video like for free for you. You don't have to." <laughs> You don't have to do anything. I'm going to make this that drone video that you guys might have seen was all him. And he literally helped me, like, just get introduced to some bigger names just to share the message. So 
That, that So now our goal is hopefully $10,000. We have a week left, but anything after 750 obviously, was much appreciated. Cole Dimitrioff joining us live on 680 CJOB, running 10K a day to bring awareness to the Bear Clan and raise some much-needed financial support. Cole, thank you so much for the time. Thanks, guys. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Keep those text messages coming at 204-780-6868 on your favorite restaurant that you want to visit once indoor dining resumes. For example, here's one, Hespler's Cookhouse and Tavern in Niverville. Good food and great wings. Someone else saying the Headingley Grill for a whiskey burger. That sounds interesting. So we're, I'm going to have to compile a list here of uh, things that I will be doing for the rest of the summer. In the meantime, the Premier says more details on Phase 2 of Manitoba's reopening plan will be coming today, Greg. And many small businesses, restaurants, nail salons, and more are anxiously awaiting to hear what might be included. Yesterday, we learned group size limits are being increased ahead of this weekend. And by next week, limited visits will return to personal care homes, Loren. This is understandably a really big deal for both people who are in those long-term care facilities and, and their loved ones who've gone about two months without any face-to-face contact. Connie Newman is the executive director of the Manitoba Association of Senior Centres, and she also has two friends she's hoping to see soon, at least from a distance. Good morning, Connie. Good morning. Thanks for taking the time for being with us, and it's such an important topic for so many. It came up in my own family. You know, when are we going to be able to see some of these people that we can't even go near because of the concerns for their health? How hard have the past eight weeks or so been on you and the people you love who I know you've been calling regularly, but you just still can't see? It's been difficult. Uh, I'm fortunate because one of the two people that are in care, we taught him all about video chat, and I connect with him every day at about 5 o'clock. To the other, it's been difficult. And I guess my message to your listeners now, we need to follow the rules. We are fortunate in Manitoba. We've had no cases that we've seen both in eastern and in western Manitoba, uh, Canada. Um, I'm hoping that once we get in there, we follow the rules, we stay outside, and we are nice to the staff that are making this possible for all of us. You've reached out to at least one of the long-term care facilities. What are they telling you about how this will work? Excuse me. They haven't yet. Yesterday morning, um, I got an email from Oakview saying, stay tuned, there's an announcement today, and that they're setting it up. So I have no doubt that I'm going to get another email, and I'm going to tell me what the rules are and the process is. And we need to follow the rules, because if we don't, we're going to go backwards, and we're going to be like Ontario, Quebec, and B.C., and the numbers are disastrous. I I recognize the trepidation in your tone there, Connie, and I think it's uh, it's worthy, and I think it's 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 a very good message as we look around the world. And you mentioned BC, 
Ontario and Quebec, a majority, a vast majority, in fact, of, of the deaths from COVID-19 in Canada are from senior, in seniors' homes, in fact. So uh, there's a very real reason why these restrictions have been put in place and, and Manitoba's been so lucky. Uh, what do you think the toll has been for those that have been separated uh, from their loved ones? Let's, let's put COVID-19 aside just for a minute and, and how difficult it must be for those who can't see their loved ones and for those that, that can't even understand the, the concept of what's going on right now. Extremely difficult because I have a friend that's in Health Sciences Centre right now and I'm real worried because she can't speak for herself. She's confused and trying to support her in her situation is horrendous. And so when I look at what's happening in long-term care, I'm thankful that they're being cared for the way they are. But it's very much stress on, in my case, the caregiver, because how do we cope with the not knowing? I am confident in the two long-term cares that I'm dealing with or on a personal basis um, but it's very, very difficult. And caregiver burnout, uh, stress to family members, it's the not knowing and the not seeing that is ugly. Yeah, it's heart-wrenching. And, you know, Connie, one thing I think we forget is, is we make assumptions that in these long-term care facilities, it's a, it's many seniors or the elderly. And that might be the case in some, but there's also husbands and wives that are apart that might be much younger. There's, uh, I know, families who have uh, kids who are in long-term care facilities uh, who might have had an injury or other being cared for. So it really affects such a wide swath of our manageable population who 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 would love to, maybe we can't hug yet, but would love to lay eyes and, and show someone in their family that everything's going to be okay okay, at least with that face-to-face greeting? Absolutely, definitely. Um, we have a sense in our mind, if we see it, we know it's real. And right now, we can't see it, and we don't know how real our loved ones are. And, and my other message is, there are some of us carrying this virus, and we don't know we're carrying it. And that's the part that worries me. Have I picked it up somewhere? I, I'm careful. But before I go into a long-term care facility, I'm go- they're going to double-check, and I'm going to make sure I stay away if I'm not feeling well, if I've been someplace where somebody could have shared that virus with me and they don't know they're sharing it. Connie Newman is the executive director of the Manitoba Association of Senior Centres. She also has two friends she's hoping to see soon, at least from a distance. So we'll hopefully get some more details on that today. Connie, thank you so much for joining us. You're quite welcome, and you guys all have a good day. It is time once again to say hello to one of the most important organizations in our community who continue to help the city's most vulnerable. It is time for the Siloam Mission Check-In. For the last three weeks, we've been hearing about what's going on at Siloam, stories from our community and how you can help Loren in this difficult time. Yeah, Will Galt is a former client of Siloam and now has a family of his own and also runs a hot dog cart, Willie's Dogs. Will joins us now on the start. Good morning, Will. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I know we have a lot of important things to talk about, but let me just say, I love a good hot dog cart. I love a barbecued hot dog. Are you back in business already? Are you able to serve or are you waiting for some rule changes first? 
Yeah, we are slowly uh, starting to um, move our operation back onto the streets um, and uh, in a different couple of businesses across the city have uh, reached out to us and allowed us to park in their parking lot to practice social distancing and stuff. So as of last week, we started uh, coming out slowly. I'm so happy to hear that uh, uh, for my love of hot dogs, but also for your business. It's been challenging times. And uh, your past is what led you to what you're doing now. When did you first visit Silo and Will? It's kind of ironic. It was actually uh, nine day, uh, sorry, nine years to the day. Uh, today is oh, when I walked through the doors of Silo Mission. And um, it, was, uh, it was a very dark chapter in my life. And I was uh, pretty much at rock bottom. I was uh, physically... I was emotionally, I was spiritually bankrupt, and I had nowhere to go. Uh, my alcoholism, my drug addiction had led me um, to the doors there. And thank God on that night, uh, that door was open for me. Will, we visited with you a couple of years ago, and you, you have great hot dogs. I can vouch for that. It's uh, great to catch up with you again. But just talk a little bit about what brought you through the doors, because... I think uh, one of the things that you and I spoke about in the past is that idea that when you're ready and you're prepared to, to make a change in your life, there might only be that one day, that one evening, that one hour where you see the light and you choose to reach out for help. How important was it that Siloam was there the day you decided today was the day? It was uh, immensely crucial. Um, when I ended up being at the doors of Silo Mission, they were actually closed for the night. I just happened to uh, wander by there, and an employee was outside standing. And I was so tired. I was so hungry. I was emotional. I was crying. And um, I, I wasn't sure exactly what to say or do. And I asked this employee if I could stay there for the night. And he welcomed me with open arms. And I had stayed there um, after that for the upcoming weeks. And it was such a welcoming environment, um, a safe environment. I came from a, a pretty decent career with the province. Um, you know, I had a, a house and vehicles and a family at the time and lost everything. And Silo Mission was basically the only place that I could go. And, you know, I was just so grateful that that door was open. I remember pacing down uh, Princess Avenue for 15, 20 minutes prior to this, you know, seeing the doors close and being like, where am I going to stay tonight? So why is it important or how important is it for you to remain involved with Silo Mission and continue to share your story on their behalf? You know, it's crucial for me. It's the least I can do for something that was given to me so freely. Um, you know, through, uh, through the last couple of years, I've, uh, you know, been blessed to, uh, you know, have a personal friendship and relationship with the CEO, Sim Bell, uh, sorry, Jim Bell. I have met, uh, you know, Garth Manis. He is the uh, chair of the capital campaign uh, for the Make Room campaign. Both of them were guests at our wedding. Uh, both of them have become personal friends. Both of them have reached out to me when COVID-19 started and my business was in trouble to see if they could help, if we needed anything. They've become friends. Uh, you know, strangers became friends. And a lot of people through there have supported my business, have... Um, you know, reached out to me over the last couple of years and, you know, just checking in on me. You know, I, I've made some lifelong friends out of strangers and, you know, it's very, very always close to my heart and, you know, anything I can ever do to uh, to help them or, or give back something that, you know, is uh, the least I can do for what they did for me. You know, Will, hearing your story, I think, is so valuable to many Manitobans because I think there are a lot of people who make assumptions about what 
is a homeless person or what the background might be or how they they got to be where they are. And hearing about your story, I think, allows others to see the human side of this in that it really could be anyone. You know, we talk about often we might be one paycheck away from not being able to pay our bills. And then what's the slippery slope from there? How common is your story in the sense of just an ordinary guy who who ends up where you ended up? I think it's more more common than uh, we like to think. Um, you know, I've met a lot of people, uh, you know, in the last, uh, you know, five, six years, um, you know, going through to di- going through different, uh, you know, 12-step meetings, you know, to help me in my sobriety and stuff. And, you know, people come from all walks of life, doctors, lawyers, police officers, judges. You know, the one thing about addiction and, uh, you know, alcoholism, it doesn't discriminate, you know, and, and I totally agree. You know, I still have to be vigilant. Uh, next month, I'm going on five years sober. And, you know, every day I still have to be vigilant. You know, I'm only one drink or, or you know, or, or, or one bad choice away from being back there. So, you know, it's very important for me to, you know, make sure that, you know, I'm on the right path. And, uh, you know, I'm providing for my, uh, you know, my wife. I was married in 2018. Uh, we just had a daughter four months ago. And, uh, you know, we started the business three years ago. Life has been good, but you know what? It's been, it's been hard work. And the thing Silo Mission taught me was, you know what, to never give up hope. And, you know, I'm, I'm so blessed that, you know, they're part of my life still today. Um, a, a little token of appreciation we did at our wedding. My wife, uh, you know, and, and myself spoke about it. Instead of giving traditional favors uh, to guests who come to our wedding, we donated one Thanksgiving meal for every guest that came to our wedding. So in uh, October of 2018, we went to Silo Mission and gave them a check for just over $300 to feed 118 people. That's amazing, Will. Uh, You know, I I know this story is resonating with people out there, A, who don't understand or how don't believe how precarious life can be. I think we've learned a gigantic lesson over the last 10, 11 weeks. Uh, people who've run successful businesses have seen their lives turned upside down in an instant. People with well-paying jobs that maybe have been laid off or have had to press pause on work or a whole variety uh, of issues. How do you manage this idea of your life being turned upside down through no fault of your own, but maybe you have an addiction. Maybe you're dealing with something uh, that is now taking over your life because you don't have what you normally had to either distract you or to keep you occupied. Speak to those people right now who might be thinking about going down a really dark road and and what it might cost them. You know, with the last, uh, you know, many weeks with the, with the COVID-19 and, you know, people that rely on, you know, uh, AA meetings and NA and, you know, Crystal Meth Anonymous and stuff like that, you know, and don't have access to a computer or don't have access to, you know, Zoom the meetings. You know, it, it's crucial to, you know, stay the course. You know, I was always told in early recovery, you know, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And you know what? To stay positive. And even in my darkest, darkest days, you know, I, I never lost hope because I knew that, you know, if the work was going to be put in, there was a way out of here. And you know what? There would be definitely light at the end of the tunnel. So for the people out there struggling or, you know, thinking that, you know, to stay in addiction is, is the way to go, the three outcomes of addiction is reality. And I've seen it happen, you know, so many times, even getting sober, you know, is in a jail, in an institution, or, or with death. 
And, and that's the reality. And life is so precious, especially now with everything going on around us. You really need to keep the, the faith. Reach out, reach out to people. There's so many groups through social media, different people, friends and family. Just talk. You know, don't let stuff build up inside. My, my biggest thing, you know, getting sober was the guilt and shame I had, you know, as a child, you know, not being wanted by my mom and being abandoned and left with my grandparents at two weeks old. You know, those were things that played a huge impact to me, you know, when addiction started, you know, ramping up and taking over my life. You need to talk to people. You need to reach out. You need to ask for help. There's people there. You know, anybody can reach out to me anytime just to talk, you know, uh, you know, through my, through my Facebook or, or whatever. I'm always willing to talk. And you know what? I'm always willing to give some, you know, support and just, just share, you know, a bit of my, my guidance to, you know, where I was. Because if I can do it, and you know what? I'm not tooting my own whistle here by no means. But, uh, you know, I, I was in very deep. And if I can get out and find a new way of life, you can as well. Will, we got to run here. But before we let you go, if we want to check out Willie Dogs and get ourselves a hot dog, where do we find you? So Willie Dogs is starting to set up back at St. Boniface Hospital from 11 to 2.30 during the week, uh, Monday to Friday. All right, man. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining us this morning. You're an inspiration. We appreciate the time and that you brought so much honesty to this. Thanks for having me, guys. Stay safe. Right now, we want to talk about the question of the day at cjob.com, brought to you by Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. Will you go out to eat at a restaurant once indoor dining resumes? So far at cjob.com, 47.5% 47.5% say, I'll hold off for a bit. Uh, 37.5% say, yes, can't wait. And 15% say, I will stick with takeout for now. We've also put this poll up on Twitter at 680CJOB and on Facebook. At last time I checked on Facebook, it was uh, already a spirited conversation just a few minutes after it got posted. Uh, yeah, I see over 520 votes so far. And uh, it is, oh, it's almost a dead heat. It, Facebook only gives two options. Yes, so it's just a yes or no. But I asked you to comment if you have a level of trepidation or if if you do fall into the yes, can't wait. I personally, Greg, am in the yes, can't wait camp. I was walking by, uh, I mentioned earlier, the Grove the other day, my favorite neighborhood pub, and I would just love to be able to walk in and grab a beer and say hi to the bartenders, to the friendly staff there. Um, but uh, there, you know, a lot of people clearly are, you know, concerned that maybe it's still too early. Well, that's a good thing. I don't think that's a bad thing because if everybody was rushing out and had their hands up and uh, running like Phoebe on friends uh, through Central Park to their closest restaurant, uh, A, they wouldn't be able to handle, those establishments wouldn't be able to handle an onslaught like that. Uh, We don't have the the rules, but we're anticipating 50% capacity. So I think it's good that there is that level of trepidation for some people. It will, once again, you know, there's going to be all sorts of curves to to flatten here and one of those is getting back to normal we don't want to do it all at once it, it'll cause problems uh, in levels of customer service potential problems in terms of our health and safety so the idea of slow and easy winning the race I think is one that we've embraced here for the last 10 weeks and I think we should continue to embrace it Loren in order to not have to take steps backward either a month two or three months from now 
Right. And I think, the, you know, the options still rest with you. So there's a couple things that are part of the equation. First of all, we're looking to learn more today about how this might work and what some of the rules might be. And for example, we're talking to Pine Ridge Hollow and she had questions about what the capacity might be and then spacing requirements and all the rest. And so if you're concerned or you have questions about it, call before you go. There's nothing stopping you from calling and saying, how are you spacing your tables and how often are they cleaned? And or, you know, if churches resume questions for your church, if you're missing out on that over the past few months, call them up and say, if we resume services with, you know, these new gathering restrictions now up to 25 inside, what does that look like? Are we, is that even going to happen? Or are we still just talking events? I mean, pick up the phone and call. It's really up to you to decide whether you're comfortable or not. And if you're not, like you said, it's not a bad thing. But on the other hand, if you are missing this and, and we all, I just would like to feel normal again. And part of that is pulling into a place and walking in and sitting down and having a meal or a drink or, or going to the patio. Take a look, you know, like give it a shot. If you think you're comfortable with that, go for it. Because on the other hand, man, we've lost a couple great restaurants in the city over the last week. And I, I would hate to lose any more is, is, as part of this COVID pandemic, Brett. And I think, too, the reason why I fall into the yes, can't wait, or part of the reason why I fall into that category is I have no one. It's just me. So I'm just anxious to be around people. Plus, I know that if it's only 50% capacity, there will be less risk to me, and I will be potentially less risk to others. And I wouldn't go into a place where I walked in and thought, ooh, this is... uh, this isn't going to work for me. I would just find another place. Samantha weighing in on Facebook uh, with a great comment here. She says, you can't support a business while potentially spreading the virus. It's too soon. I work for a local family-owned business that I love very much. However, I also have a child I love more and will not risk his health and safety. So you can weigh in on Facebook, on Twitter, and again, cast your vote on the question of the day at cjob.com. Jeff says, breaking the cycle of eating and drinking at restaurants or patios, not going to pay 11 bucks for a Stella or any other beer, cheaper and safer to just be at home. We had a couple of people commenting on that too, that it's just cheap. You know, I, I like to, I just prefer to cook at home anyway, because it's cheaper, Greg. Well, and you know what? As we were we've been talking about the CFL this morning and their potential plans and what a season might look like for them with or without fans or some sort of uh, modified acceptance of some level of uh, audience in, in stadium, you have to think there are people out there. And let's think about the economic changes for so many people. The idea, let's put those aside for a moment, the idea of going back into an arena and paying 10 or $11 for a beer or at the stadium. I think for a lot of folks, this is a massive reset economically and re-establishing, re-examining your priorities and what's important to you. And I have a real sense not to be a downer with regard to pro sports, but I sense a real reset in particular for pro sport, Uh, the larger sports, NBA, MLB, NHL, NFL, where it's super expensive to go to a game. I think they're going to have to really examine how they welcome people into their facilities. Once everything is a good to go to do that because people, corporations for sponsorship, the amount of money in the economy for the next several years is not going to be what it was just a few weeks ago, McNabb. 
Yeah. And you know, what's been really interesting too, in the phenomena of, of restaurants and the changes and the way they've had to adapt is, uh, we've talked to King's Head that turned into, started doing grocery service. Pine Ridge Hollow, who we just talked to at 737 has offered, you know, a barbecue meat package, for example, that you can get. They do a sangria kit. Like they've changed the way they do the business to survive. And I'm curious how many of those changes stick around in the restaurant mm-hmm. in this industry. One of my local, um, Restaurants in my town uh, does a Taco Tuesday where they have a kit, like a taco kit that you pick up that has everything ready to go uh, for your chicken wraps and cilantro and coleslaw. And so you're still eating at home, but you're supporting that business. And so I'd like to see a bit more of that. I think there's been a lot of ingenious things done. Same with Nyaqua Pizza uh, did a bring, make your own pizza night. And so we got the kit delivered and you still felt like you were having takeout and supporting the business, but doing things a little bit differently. And so all these places have been thinking outside the box. And in the beginning, it was temporary. Maybe for some of them, it'll become more permanent because it just makes sense and or they'll have to, Brett, just to survive. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, while we wait to hear what will be included in Phase 2 of Manitoba's reopening plan, Premier Brian Pallister set to speak at 11. We wanted to talk about what would get you out there, either shopping, camping, or traveling again. And we want to pose the question of whether or not a four-day work week would help, or maybe a few more public holidays sprinkled throughout the calendar year. I think the answer for a lot of us might be yes, but in New Zealand, the Prime Minister there has actually suggested employers look at flexible working options like a four-day work week as a means to both help with that work-life balance, but also just with tourism, because it might encourage more people to have that extra day and get out there. It was Jacinta Ardern who made the comments in a Facebook Live a few days ago, and while it's excited a lot of people in that country... Economists here in Canada aren't sure if it makes much sense as far as stimulating the economy is concerned, Greg. I think we're having problems connecting to Greg. So a Concordia University economist who spoke to Global News says it wouldn't likely do much to stimulate because at the end of the day, you still have the same amount of disposable income no matter how many days you work. But experts agree there are plenty of conversations to be had about whether COVID-19 could and should lead to seismic change in our workplaces, change like working from home or four-day work weeks. Michelle Dunnell is branch manager for the Creative Man- for the creative Group, pardon me, and joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Michelle, good morning to you. Good morning. So we talked to you a few months ago after Microsoft in Japan said it was moving to a four-day work week and it's moved. Oh, is that Greg I hear? Hi, guys. Hello, Greg. Greg is back. All right. Thank you for figuring it out as we continue to work from home, many of us, in this era of physical distancing. So, yeah, we talked to you after Microsoft in Japan said its move to a four-day work week actually boosted productivity 40%. Are there any other companies that actually do this? Well, I think just that overall right now, employers are looking at flexible working options, especially in the post-COVID workplace ahead. So I think, you know, a four-day work week could help manage time in the physical office space as we look to segue back, as most companies are. Um, But 
companies can also consider other options, and that's really what we're hearing in the marketplace. So maybe it's still a four-day work week, but the day off maybe shifts monthly so that staff are off on a Tuesday or maybe they're off on a Wednesday um, to really ensure that there's fewer people physically in the office. And I think that's the primary view right now. So companies are considering the flexible work arrangements, um, but they really need to establish those clear guidelines. So I think that as those decisions are made, we may see a four-day workweek option, or we may see uh, flexible uh, time as far as employees, as far as how many off hours they're working in a day in the office, or maybe there's rotating schedules with employees where they're two days in the office, three days at home, um, and there's that schedule in place. So there's many different options right now that are kind of surfing, surfacing as maybe some examples of what might happen in the months to come. Some people talking about the idea if we go to this four-day work week, there are going to be other logistics to take in a, into account. So is it a sort of an all-or-nothing proposition? Is this something that you can do as a one-off, Michelle, or does it have to be societal in nature? Do we have to go to a school, uh, school week that looks like a four-day week if we're going to pull off something like this as a whole if, if perhaps we decide to go this way? Well, according to one of our most recent surveys in the creative group, 14% of creating creative managers were actually saying that their company offers compressed work weeks. Um, I think a four-day work week, I mean, essentially, a work-life balance is different for each of us. So for many of us, it used to be leaving the office at 5 p.m., but now it can mean enjoying a flexible work schedule or running personal errands during the day. But essentially, I think the four-day work week, obviously, it's the strategy piece of rebuilding the economy um, and making that focus on tourism overall. So although the, these conversations have started in organizations and we're hearing that in the marketplace, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next month or two as companies look to transition to coming back into the workplace. You know, one of the conversations we've been having throughout all this is, you know, we're working from home right now. What has that done and what the changes we've seen to our own schedules? And there's some studies that have come out, surveys over the last little while, that a lot of people think they're actually working longer days from home just because of the way things run than they might have been before. I'm curious, uh, on a productivity end, what does the data show us for what the benefit might be to a company for the four-day work week? We mentioned off the top that when Microsoft tried it in Japan, it boosted productivity 40%. How does that happen? Does that just mean we're doing more in the time that we have and working harder with the time that we have, Michelle? Well, I think really the productivity has been boosted just because what we're hearing in our surveys is that, you know, certainly um, those uh, employees are feeling like there's so much more time in their workday taking away the actual commute to and from work. Um, and then on the flip side, to your point, um, there's, you know, those challenges where we're saving that time in the commute. Uh, however, are we really unplugging? Is there a blurred line where we may not unplug at five o'clock. Um, I think as we move towards what a new norm could be, uh, we're still that flexible schedule for each of us is ever changing. Loren mentioned 
more public holidays, and I know we're focusing on the four-day work week, but when she said the question, would, it, would more public holidays uh, help out at work? I know, uh, I think it, it comes up every June, you know, we all lament, why is there no holiday in the month of June? Would adding more public holidays help the workforce? Well, I think that, you know, there's been many suggestions, everything from the shorter work week to more public holidays as a way to stimulate the economy um, and offer, you know, an even more flexible schedule uh, for employees. But um, I think when we hear that, it's been tied to encouraging domestic tourism. Uh, So as far as adding public holidays and specific to what we're hearing in the marketplace, um, that is not something that's been on the forefront. Um, That's where we're seeing, you know, uh, different articles in the market as they consider all options, that being stated. Michelle, one of the objections to this is the idea of, oh, well, people aren't going to like 25% less pay. But based on uh, the research that, that you've done and that I've seen, that, that doesn't necessarily have to be part of the equation. Uh, the same amount of work seems to be getting done. And in Microsoft, we've, we've touted this and cited this a couple times, that, that they, in fact, uh, found their employees more productive in the hours that they were there. So does this necessarily equate to uh, loss of pay versus uh, extra time away from work, quote unquote? Well, I think that's a great question. And the answer on that would be absolutely not as far as uh, a loss of pay. Um, You know, overall, both our survey results and what we're hearing in the market is definitely there's been an increased productivity um, certainly everyone's shifting on what their day looks like, and that's really been ch- ever-changing week to week, I think, for all of us. Um, but 33, 33% uh, was tied to the number of our survey results of feeling that there was definitely an increase in productivity overall in the workplace. Do you have any advice for us now that as we have these conversations and and we go forward, we know that our employers across this country are taking a hard look at, you know, everything from the working from home and whether or not they need all that office space. But how can the employee have a sense that they can weigh in here? Should we be sending notes now to our bosses about what, what we'd like the new normal to look like? Or would it be advisable for companies to do surveys with their staff and say, what's worked for you and what hasn't? Because maybe some of this should continue going forward. Well, I think we're all learning together right now. And I think it goes back to the point I made uh, that the companies really need to understand what the flexible work arrangements will be and the guidelines that are tied to that in the next few weeks as companies look to perhaps return in phases to the workplace. Um, so, you know, for those individuals that you know, are having the blurred lines of, of, you know, maybe working later or having that greater difficulty unplugging at the end of the day, um, sure, we're seeing that increased productivity, um, but the end result really needs to, to have a work arrangement that works for each employee. And I think that's, that's where, you know, managers and organizations need to step in um, to really steer it at this point as we look to maybe, you know, head back to the offices. Michelle Dunno, branch manager for the Creative Group, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Michelle, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you.
Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.